The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 433 a special guest joining me tonight first time on the show uh nfbc veteran but most of the nfbc streets know who he is you can find him on twitter at wagner 13454 dusty wagner how we doing man pretty good what's up bubba not much not much appreciate you joining me um as we get ramping up here in the fantasy baseball draft season how is uh draft prep going for you uh pretty good i think i'm like nine dcs in i'm just kind of starting my foray into the 12s uh just started last night but i'm doing 20 of those this year uh the most i've ever done i'm sure i'll hate myself on sundays but it's a it's a test that i needed to do for myself so uh yeah it's 
it, it's it's the prep's going good. Are you going to do 20 of the 12s or 20 DCs total? So I'm doing nine DCs and 20 OCs, and then okay. both both diamonds, the platinum, and main events come come March. So, so that's a lot of fabbing. It's a lot of fabbing yeah. going on. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, with uh, what's the most you've done prior to this? Uh, for fab leagues, yeah. uh, probably around like 10 or 11. I've, I try to keep it around there, just especially with being in the 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 higher higher stakes leagues. The, the fab is just way longer if you look at more of the teams um, other than yourself. So like that takes more of more time and uh, it's a little bit more stringent on, on fab process than like a, a 12 or something like that, where you can kind of look over and just be concerned with your team and, and, and move on, you know? Yeah, yeah I totally agree. It's, it's such a different animal, the 12 versus the 15 that uh, really, really changes things up for sure. So that will make it, um, quite interesting so let, let's look back a little bit on 2021 before we get too far into 2022 because some things like most players good players do they learn kind of what went right what went wrong and how to adjust for the next year obviously and uh, what are some of the things that maybe you picked up on last year that stood out to like maybe you got to tweak a little bit more or something that you like figured out ahead of time and it worked pretty well like what what stood out to you last year uh i mean I, i've kind of thought this for a while and and it, you know, I, I kind of did some more research on it on some of the top teams and especially in 12s a little bit more maybe than 15s, which I think, you know, the top players in 15s take more of the safer approach in drafts. Uh, I think in 12 specifically, uh, I'm going to reach a little bit more for the the guys that get hurt, but like once they get hurt, they get hurt, like not tweaked and they miss a couple games. It's like, the Justin Turners of the world, the Donaldsons, the Trouts, you know, like when they, when they get hurt, like they're out, you can drop them, move on from the roster spot, like, and don't even have to be concerned about, oh, well, now I got to sit him on the bench or like, is he going to come back? You know? So like, I think for 12 specifically, it's just trying to be more aggressive uh, on maybe those injury stigma type players, knowing that fab is a little bit more, involved i think in this game than it maybe it was in the past i mean it always has been a huge huge thing um but i think now it's like you really can start to see like some of the better teams of like you churn really really much and like chad trader went before he kind of quit fantasy baseball like he dominated 12s and the, the number one thing he did was like turn over a third of his roster every single week That's uh crazy. and and it's and it's just not having those ties to players slash kind of drafting your team, knowing you're going to do that. Uh, and, and again, like, you know, he, he's got other different things. It's not just that, but like that helps a lot. Like just knowing before a draft, like, okay, this is my strategy that I'm going to do for fab. This is kind of what I I've learned from looking at the top teams in 12 that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say right now, like I'm not really a 12 team guy. I'm more of a 15 team. That's more my for, foray. Uh, but more of them, more, more, more of the great players in 12s, I think, churn a lot more uh, than a lot of us think we should. Yeah, and it really makes sense because A12s, you can, there's usually more of a, a something to churn with on the waiver wire compared to a 15, where it's like, at least on a 12, you can kind of paint the picture where these moves are going to pay off, or a 15, you're just praying the guy plays most of the week type situation and gets you at bats. And um, that, that's what makes it interesting. But it's something you said 
it's uh, like not having that attachment to a player or something because we're all so guilty of it. It's like, oh, no, he's going to bounce back. Or you mentioned like the injury thing. Oh, it's just a, you know, he'll be back in 10 days and it turns into three weeks to four weeks. And now you just wasted all this time when you could have picked up so-and-so. So that's a tough thing. How have you kind of learned to, to know when to move on from someone? Uh, again, it's a little bit different in 12 and 15. 15s, you have to be a little bit more patient just because the player pool. Uh, but 12s, I think, honestly, like unless they're like your top seven round picks, I mean, you, you have to be ready to move on. I know that's like a weird thing to say. Uh, and again, it's just every injury is different. But like if a guy is going to be out a month or if it's an unknown timetable, it's like I think I might – just cut bait at this point uh that's that's a strategy i'm going to go with it could easily just blow up in my face but like i think churning the roster spots is far more valuable and giving yourself options in like 12 than it is maybe 15. now you said uh fab is becoming more of an important game and a lot of that is probably churning and burning it's probably because there's more i guess platooning in baseball than before so it's not like there's not as many like dead set these guys are playing six to seven days a week. You got a lot of, you know, like especially for like the Friday or Saturdays or Friday to Sundays, you can kind of mix and match things on fab. Are you seeing that kind of be the case? It's more of a hitters fab thing. Are you seeing pitchers get equally, you know, with all these, you know, chances at relievers and stuff these days? How, how do you see the, the fab churning? Is it more hitters, pitchers, or kind of a little bit both? I mean, it, it is both. Uh, pitchers are a little bit more riskier, uh, even in 12s. Uh, uh, one thing I did notice, though, in some of the top teams last year is like a lot of those top teams maybe got an ace, but a lot of them faded pitching, but like kind of hit pitching in those middle rounds. Uh, Cause again, you know, like even if you pick up a double starter and a 12, like you're still, they're, they're better than 15s, but they're, they're by no means like must start and they're very fringy or you're taking a chance or whatever. But at the same point in time, just K's and, and the chances for wins in 12s. Uh, I think are equally important versus like the ERA whip. So, uh, you know, like, and with, with the hitters, like you mentioned, like the platoons and stuff like that, like it's, it's all about at bats, you know, Jeff Zimmerman, I think preaches, preaches that like he's very just volume based and, and uh, I mean, he's right, you know, but I mean, you have to be smart with it too. Uh, you know, you can't just drop, you know, one of your top hitters just because he's got a two, two game week too. So, uh, but that's, but that's again, why you, I'm trying to be more aggressive on like, okay, well, if this guy's not going to help me again in, in the next month in a 12 teamer, like I might just drop it because like, again, that's a month that I could have roster flexibility on maybe four or five guys that could help me. And, and I think that makes a difference over time. Yeah, roster flexibility is huge, and a lot of people uh, like associate roster flexibility with multi-position eligibility. Is that something that you kind of focus on more with all this ever-changing platoon situation, or is that just kind of a, you know, it is what it is, and you're more just worried about making moves like, hey, these these guys are in Coors this weekend type situation? Yeah, I, I'm more of the 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 hitter atmosphere, the the team, like you know, are they playing the Orioles, you know, like pitching staffs and stuff like that, uh, you know. M- I, I've never been a multi-positional eligibility. I don't bump them up or whatever. Like, yeah, if I do like the player, it's nice. But, like, I think that's more like a DC concept. Um, uh, you know, it helps in 15-team leagues as well. But, like, 12s, I think there's just so much of, a, of of hitters out there, especially, like, in platoon situations where, like, you don't really need to be that much concerned about it. But, like, that's just my opinion. 
No, you're right. It's just because, again, it goes back to the replacement value on the waiver wire, and that's one reason I found myself liking 12s more than 15s. It's like 15s is fun. 15s is like playing chess where, you know, 12s is kind of like playing checkers sometimes, or like Chinese checkers. It's a little, little, little different, but, um, you know, 15s are great and all, but it's also nice to know when you have an injury or something go wrong, you can at least kind of fill it in with something decent so you can still keep a competitive team where – in a 15, it's almost like you're putting a Band-Aid on. It's losing its stickiness already. And it, it's like yeah. there's hope and it holds. <laughs> yeah, 12s, you can kind of play the weekly game a little bit more yeah. of like, okay, I can pick this guy up for this week, drop him, whatever. 15s, you, it, like you said, it's, it's kind of like chess. You, you kind of have to think two or three weeks ahead of time yep. prior to that week to set yourself up uh, without spending just major dollars. You know, like, because again, everybody's looking at the same players. There's so many podcasts out there. There's so many, you know, great yeah. sites out there. Like everybody knows who who the top bad guys are going to be. Yep. But like, you know, if you if you can get out there before, you know, like, and, and that's what the best players do. They they find these names two weeks early or three weeks early before anybody's even seen them. And it's and sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's you know paying attention, like you know Phil did last year. Like yep. who's coming in the seventh or eighth inning, you know. Uh, you know, it's little things like that you pick up and you pay a dollar for versus like once one guy gets a save on a Sunday, then all of a sudden everybody wants to spend every every type of money on it, even if it is just the, the closer was just resting that day, you know? Yeah, it it gets wild, some of the faff stuff. That's why one of the, the fun exercises Toby and I do every year is we just redo, go over how much money was spent that week because just like, whoa, what in the world just took place this week? But um, it, it happens. It's the way of the world, and it, it's fun uh, for sure in 15s versus 12, especially. It's like 15 is almost more of a structure sort of to your fab bidding, where 12, it's a wild, like it's league-to-league dependent. It's, it's craziness. So you're going to have, you said I think 12 OCs, and with how weird the bidding is, are you going to try to keep it the same? Or are you going to do it league? To, like That's going to be a lot of different calculations going on there. Yeah, a, a lot of the time, like I, the way that I've done fab in the past, like I just take a percentage of whatever um, remaining fab budget is left in the league. So like, you know, you could be in a league where everybody blew their money in the first two weeks and in another league where nobody really spent money. Uh, to me, like the bid should be different because there's just more money out there for people to, to use or allocate. Uh, so like, that's just one of the many things that I do for fab, but like that, that kind of helps me on bidding. Like I have a bid range and then like, I look at that and that kind of like helps me narrow it down a little bit. Now that makes that, that actually makes a lot of sense. My, my dumb brain didn't even think about doing the percentages there. You can definitely fluctuate your bids that way. Uh, to make it happen. Now, one thing that we bid on a lot, and you mentioned already, is relief pitching. And anybody that's uh, either done a draft already or just looked at the boards, they get posted all the time or just watched any, listen to any podcast, uh, relief pitchers are flying off the boards. It is chaos. And it's one of those, you either go for it to have someone or you play the late game and see what happens. Like in a fab world, I don't mind playing the late game. In a DC, it's not the same comfort level for sure. But uh, you have a, a theory or a strategy you're going with in, in relief pitching. How are you attacking them so far this year? Yeah, it, this is kind of funny. You know, like I know some. I know a lot of top guys, like, yes, it's worth paying for the haters, the Hendricks of the world. I, I think Phil even has said so. He wrote an article about it. And, and I totally understand the, the concept behind it. Uh, because you do have to pay the market price. I, I, I get that. Uh, I kind of, this is where my experience maybe comes in a little bit and like, yeah, sure. It's a different year. Every year's different. You know, maybe five, six years ago, I tried a, a dual elite relief pitcher and basically said, okay, I'm going to get an ACE in the first or second round and then pair 
the two best relief pitchers to basically make a second ace, and then it, it addresses my my closers. Uh, and what what happens is you're giving so much up on the other categories to address one category, whether that's a bat in that spot in the second round or third round, or if that's like you know a stud pitcher. Like you're, you're giving up so much equity, I think, in those picks by taking Hendricks or or Hater in the second round. And like, this is coming from a guy like in the shortened season that took Hater in the first round uh, and it failed miserably. So like, I I understand the concept behind it. I just think a lot of these uh, uh, players are going to run into finding themselves short on some of the other counting stats, uh, thinking that they can either get it late or whatever, but you just can't replace like that second round type bat or stud pitcher. Uh, It's just very, very hard. You have to almost, again, it's, it's the same way. Like, sure. Like, you can say the same thing if if you're going to just throw darts or whatever at the back end of the draft, those darts may not work out. You, you, you're going to have to give up something, but I'd rather take a chance on one category than taking a chance on the other eight or nine uh, just from my experience of doing it. Now I could be completely wrong. And th- these are way smarter people than me, like saying that it's worth it to pay up there. Uh, so it, it's one of those where like, yeah, sure. I'm zigging while everybody's zagging and, like I could win a lot of money this year or lose a, a lot of money this year. So yeah. it's just kind of what I'm going to go with, with my theory. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Like uh, I think in the higher stakes drafts, I think they'll fall a little bit more just because I think more people punt uh, saves. So they're not as demanding. They, they fall every year um, from everything else. The main event, like, I'm confused on how people are going to react on the main yeah. event because usually everybody gets pushed up. I I just have a feeling they'll they'll either stay the same or or they'll drop just a tiny bit. Like when I'm saying like drop like half a round from where they're going now, you know, because there is so much uncertainty with the lockout and no information on other teams' closers. So like once we start getting more information on like the other half of the league closers, if it's by a committee or if this is the guy or whatever, I think that might loosen some prices up you know, the Mark Melanson's of the world, you know, like yeah. that second or third tier uh, from being all the way up there. But again, we'll, we'll see, like only time will tell uh, in, in these March drafts or whenever the lockout ends and we start getting more news. That's the hard part. It's like right now, I think it's more of a, just a feeling of uncertainty. It's like, I want to go through and get my guys and like have a, a better feeling about myself is what it, of what it seems like for, for the most part. But still in a DC, you're taking so many late shots anyways. It's almost like, you really need to to go early now i thought once fab league started it would loosen up and so far the early ocs are not loosening it up at all they're wow. like almost going straight with it i'm just like i, I was kind of shocked i was like wow okay i thought that would have changed because you know you, you can definitely play that game dc's like i kind of understand the argument you can't go on the waiver wire and all this stuff i i get it a little bit the um the, the fab leagues i thought for sure people would be like okay maybe get one maybe one and then kind of play the game but no it's a uh, it's a wild, wild west out there in those streets, and it's it's so true what you said. It's kind of the argument I've had for catchers in recent years, and I've, I'll I'll take a catcher early too if if it falls in the right right spot. But it's the same idea. Of it's like the replacement value of the player you're passing up on at that early pick of like that you know five category you know outfielder or something else that you're not going to make up later in the draft, and that makes it tricky when you're taking that relief pitcher that hopefully stays healthy all year. So. That's a, that, that's a big predicament to come across. But it's it'll be really fun to see how it pans out because some people are going to think they're geniuses and it works or it's going to be the other way, like you said. And you could be the one looking at everybody going, 
yeah, see, it worked out pretty well. But it's just, I think in the end, no matter if you take them early or not, it's the ones you're going to get like rounds 40 through 50 that show up as closers. It's going to win you your league anyways in the grand scheme of things. So we'll see how that one pans out. Yeah, and my, my OC last night, that's kind of the route I went. I You know, I got one closer and then literally the last, you know, six or seven picks of my, my draft, I just took darts knowing week one, I'm either going to have a closer for free basically, or I can just drop them week one anyways. Uh, and we can argue whether or not that's a great strategy or not. But in these early drafts, I was like, what, like what I'm already planning on, on churning and burning it. Like that will just free up seven roster spots already. It's funny you mentioned that the, I've done one fab league so far. It was a listener league for some other podcast, 12 team league. And um, did the same exact thing. Like I got, I think, I think like round between ten or twelve, I have to go back and look. I got like kind of one guy I thought was kind of the guy. Didn't pay too early, but got a guy. And then like my last like five or six picks were all speculative closers. Same idea. Think okay, maybe two or three of them hit. If not, I'm gonna turn and burn and see what happens because I guarantee you, most there's gonna be like probably five or six closers that no one drafted because we didn't think they were closing. That'll be closing by first fab run. So we'll we'll play the game then too. So I, I, I honestly at this point in time. Don't think that's a horrible idea because at the same time, you could go draft bats as you and I know that either A, might not even play this year, B, could go get hurt in spring training and not play. You're going to drop them in. There's so many things moving moving parts there too. So go take your chance with closers. <laughs> that's the way I see it. So will be interesting for sure. Um, you were, you were The topic you want to talk about, I, I like where this is headed. So that's why I wanted to, to get your thoughts on this. You mentioned with like Phil Dusso because Phil's going on the podcast tour and he's talking about all his strategies. And the dude's a genius. There's zero hiding in that. The guy is by far like he's a robot for a reason, and it's it's amazing. And I've had him on the show to talk to him. The dude is like I'm taking notes the entire time. It's crazy how smart he is. But um, he's got his strategy. You know, take a couple of pitchers early, then a bunch of bats and get pitchers late. It's like it's kind of a well known strategy. And then uh, you have Casey Chaw, of course. You know, it's, I'm going to cross off my list and walk in with my list of guys, and or he goes and stacks a team, or he's got it's like his little strategy too. So you wanted to talk about how trying to replicate these strategies might not be the best of ideas. Yeah, I, I mean, again, in theory, like everybody wants to be filled to so and, yep. and and Casey Chaw, like yeah, like sure, like yeah, it worked. Like it's obvious it worked. Like go look at the money uh, uh, charts. You like you you can see it worked. But like what a lot of people just don't maybe realize or maybe they do and they're just turning a blind eye to it is like it works for him uh like he knows what his weaknesses are and his strengths and he he's been very adamant about what what they are but like he does he he knows that he and he builds whatever he drafts however to to basically cover for that and like go to his strength i may i may have different strengths and weaknesses you may have different strengths and weaknesses so like if you try to copy you know, Casey or, or Phil, like you don't have their same repertoire. You don't have, you're not the same person. You're, you're not looking at the same things they are weekly. Uh, you know, like maybe, you know, like, let's just say, I feel like I can find late round closures. Well, maybe you can't. So like you're drafting them early and I, and I'm drafting them late, you know? So like, why would I copy you when I feel like I have an advantage on something like that? So like, again, both of them are geniuses. Both of them are like, well-esteemed i'm not taking anything away from that that's not what i'm doing but it's just like you know i've seen so many like on twitter of like oh yeah we're gonna cross these players off and it's like you know that's that's a great strategy if you're crossing off the right players Uh Um, 
But what I, what I also mentioned is if you're crossing all these players, you're going to have a lot of the same teams. So as long as you're okay with the variance of being wrong, where either all your teams lose or all your teams win, uh, I mean, that's, that's fine to do. You know, I'm all about conviction plays and like going all in, like I'm more risk diverse than maybe some, but like, you have to understand like going in, like, there's more to it than than just like working backwards in a draft and like crossing names off. Uh, And a lot of people think it's just easy to get the playbook and then copy it. I mean, look, for example, you know, Vlad Tedler, everybody loves him. Everybody, he's a great fantasy player, puts out his VDP, Mm -hmm. literally his his draft plan. If it was that easy, everybody has his draft plan. Why isn't Mm -hmm. everybody as good as Vlad that subscribes to it? Well, because Vlad also knows there's intricacies to mm-hmm. how to execute things during the draft or in season. Yep. So like, that's why they don't necessarily, you know, Casey's, you know, not really on social media or whatever, but you know, that's why Phil doesn't mind talking about, you know, to a certain extent or Vlad's out there. Like they all know, like, yeah, they can share information and you can use some of the information against them. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you just can't replicate what exactly yeah. they're doing. And they know that they know that. So. Yeah, like, like you, well, a couple of things. Phil, like he's tell you, like he'll, he'll tell you a bunch. He won't give you the secret sauce. He won't give you the list of players, all those kind of things. But it's like you said, he goes to his strengths. He knows he can um, get mid-range pitching later. And you know, he hit on Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, Robbie Ray, Logan Webb. Like he hit the jackpot of all jackpots. Not going to happen in years, but that's going to take place. Like he, it was amazing because his 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 system told him that. But it's like. This next year's system could tell him a completely opposite situation, and now he's sitting there going, "Well, didn't work this year. That's very, yeah, very and, possible." And you can, you can, you can take all the past overall winners and whatever. Like oh, a yeah. lot of things do have to go right. He, he himself has admit that. Like, yeah. like think about it. Like, he hit on those all those pitchers. Well, guess what? You don't have to waste fab on pitchers, yeah. so it opens more avenues up for you. So, like yeah. again, to win these overalls or whatever, a lot of things do have to go right. But yes, you you do have to put in the work. You do have to have the right prep work. You do have to hit on the right players. Which you know he did winning what was the twenty two leagues or something so like Ridic- yeah obviously again thing, yeah. again he's doing just fine like he knows yeah. what he's doing what I'm saying is like I'm, just don't I agree think with you what you're saying players. yeah no, I agree yeah. I agree with what you're saying because there's so many different ways to draft is kind of what you're saying like we can all do it different ways and you got to draft to your strengths now you can use Vlad's VDP to help you with your strengths to kind of point you in the right direction but. Like Vlad will know how to pivot in the draft where you won't by using his stuff. Like there's just different things that take place. Or like I'm in a draft right now where uh, Toby's drafting right next to me. And we text all the time. Like, how did this guy fall? Like it's it's been a weird draft ADP wise. Like if you just follow ADP, guys are all over the board. And so it's like, oh, I usually don't get these guys at this point in the draft, and I'm getting them this time. So I got to kind of change my normal philosophy. And it's called adjusting, adjusting the way you draft mm-hmm. and on what's going on. And that's that's not going to be in a, in a handbook for you. You have to be able to do that with your prep to to figure it out. So it's kind of fun to see how that goes. A um, couple things you mentioned in, in that little talk there, crossing guys off list, the right guys off the list. Now it, it makes sense with what you're saying. You have to be able to cross the right guys off. But at the same time, a topic of discussion that's been going on the last couple of days has been like, people say, I'm not going to draft a guy. Even if he falls, I'm not going to draft a guy. Or if he falls now, he's worth it to me. When people, And then somebody goes, well, if you didn't like him, then you shouldn't like him now. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, again, it's very team specific. I think everybody has a value. Um, yeah, like the million dollar man, everyone's got a price. Yeah, everybody's got a price. I, I, like you've heard Vlad and, and Phil even say, you know, like yeah, like I have zero interest in, in modesty this year. But you know, if he's if he's at there at pick hundred, I'll make it work. You know, exactly. you know. So it's like 
it, it's found money kind of at, at a certain point where like, even if he doesn't work out, I feel like if it's at whatever point in the draft, I'm comfortable to take a certain player. I know I'm taking that risk and chance, even if I didn't like him knowing, okay, well, week one, I could, I could drop this player and I feel like I can be fine. Like, again, like that's like very simplified and very dumbing it down and isn't always the yeah. case, but it, that's what I'm trying to say is everybody has a yep. value. So just because you cross somebody off, like you could be missing a chance to, to take it out. Cause guess what? We're all wrong. Even the best mm-hmm. of us, like, like I think Greg does it every year, like goes back in the first round and who actually de- delivered first round value. It's usually like half at best, half you know? Best. So like, and that's the best players, let alone like once we get to round 10 or 11 or 12. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, it's the old theory is, you know, you're not going to win your draft in the early rounds, but you could probably lose it. But they're yeah. going to win later. Make sure you hit those values that, that stand out. Another thing you mentioned there, um, you know, diversifying. And this is a question I want to ask you because you're going to be in so many leagues, 12 OCs and everything. How do you go about diversifying? Are you diversifying in the early rounds to get the same kind of values? Do you prefer to get the big dogs up top and diversify the values? How do you, like going into a draft, obviously things can change as we've talked about. But what's your game plan? Do you try to get like a certain like section of the draft similar and be different somewhere else, or what do you do? You know, uh, it, it's kind of changed for me over the years. Uh, before, like, man, when I was all in on a player, I didn't care if it was in the first round or second round. I'd draft him on every team if I would. Uh, granted, that's more of an all-in approach, and the variance is very high because if that first rounder goes down, then all your teams have that first rounder go down. So it may have not been the smartest thing in the book uh, to do. Uh, but again, like I'm more risk adverse. So like, you know, like if I really believe in a guy, like I'm going to take him regardless, I've kind of calmed down and tr- tried more diversifying my, you know, my partner that I, I do these drafts with uh, Matt Shepard, Shepard, I'm sorry. Uh, he believes in diversifying a lot, which I'm just kind of like, no, like I want the best players, especially on the best teams. Like, I, I don't care. Like if we got, Degrom and the other diamond, like I want Degrom and 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 this diamond, you know. Mm-hmm. He's more kind of like, oh, let's get a different pitcher. Like it's they're the same guy. Uh, that's kind of like we have that argument back and forth still to this day. But I, I've calmed down and maybe I diversify a little bit more. Uh, but my initial thought is like I'm the type of player that like it doesn't matter early, late, middle. Like if I really like a guy, I'll, I'll probably take him there every single time. Gotcha. Gotcha, guys. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, what are you doing with the NLDH? Are you uh, worried about it? Is it affecting your strategy any differently? I've been planning all offseason that there will be an NL- yeah. NLDH. Uh, and if there's not, like, I'll, I'll adjust to it. But, uh, yeah, I've I've just been planning, uh, planning like that, which, again, in these early DCs, I think there's just a lot of value if you can kind of pick and choose uh, uh, the players you think will get the at-bats. I, I don't think in the NL, especially in this first year, uh, there'll be a lot of just like typical DH. Okay, this guy's going to get 600 bats at DH. I think NL managers will kind of play it the same way they have been in interleague, which is like, okay, I'm going to use it to get a, 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 a day off for a guy, which I think most American League teams have started to do now too, where there's just fewer and fewer, fewer DH type guys and they use it for more of a rotating spot. So it's more, I think, okay, like, uh, 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 perfect example it's like it's like okay uh, a, here's a part-time guy uh like like a darren ruff or, or whatever like okay we're planning for 400 at bats steamers planning for 400 at bats like i know steamers updated to to the dh now but it's like okay you might think they play him a little bit more than steamer does so it's like you adjusting that up or down either way 
kind of affects his draft price to you. So like, I think that's going to be maybe the key this year is identifying who's right uh, a little bit more on identifying the players that are going to get the extra at bats. Maybe uh, if they do have an NLDH, even from the top guys. I'm kind of with you there. Uh, the Dodgers, I remember back in 2020, flat out said it's our it's our revolving day off. Like we're just like you know today Will Smith's gonna be there, tomorrow it's gonna be Max Muncy, and so on and so forth. Like so, like Justin Turner, for instance, assuming he stays healthy, of course. But like him and AJ Pollock, he could maybe factor in like 10 more games of just DHing. Yeah, like, that could be I said like that could be 40 at bats or something. So yeah. just little little things like that that could maybe help them stay healthier throughout the year, keep them out of the field. Um, stuff like that because like, when you look at the projections, those guys are always hurt. I, I looked at them earlier today. Like Turner, I think, is, or um, Pollock's around maybe 120 games or something. Maybe you throw them in at like 130 now or something along those lines and just kind of play with it. And that's kind of a, a fun discussion I've had with some previous uh, NFPC guys on the show is how are you projecting playing time? Because, of the, you know, you look at Dalton Vars show is projected to play like 103 games now with the DH. And it's like, I'm sorry if he's going to play in the outfield like he's supposed to. He's playing a lot more than 103 games. So you got to start like prorating things around. And that's kind of, I think, the fun and really like fine tuning how you're approaching the drafts come draft season. Um, do you have a, a specific set of projections you like? Do you make your own projections? Do you have your own like, you know, sheet you use? Are you a Phil Dussault type or how do you go about prepping for these drafts? So I, I do use Roto Lab and basically it's like a combination of uh, Master Balls. Uh, steamer, the bad X, especially for, for hitting, uh, even, even Razzball, you know, they come out with, with their own kind of, uh, deal. Basically kind of like we'll mess around and then add my own input on maybe more of like, you know, I'll, I'll basically get an average from that and, and be like, okay, this is what they're thinking basically per at bat. Uh, and then I'll kind of put in what I think the at bats will be for a certain player and then whatever it spits out, like that's what I'm going to go with. And then I rank, rank them that way. Gotcha. Nothing makes a lot of sense. Lots and lots of sense. Um, any other strategies that are standing out to you in your early draft season, draft prep, um, that may be something that um, you're willing to, to try out a bit or just like stood out to you like, whoa, this is way different than I'm used to? You know, as far as strategies, I, it's, I, I'm just I'm a little shocked about the closure still that we talked about. But like uh, it's kind of just like how to take advantage of that that thinking for me. And it's just kind of, you know, uh, when I first was growing up, uh, I guess in the NB- NFBC was, you know, Steve Japinka just telling me constantly, yeah, bully hitting and, and manage pitching. So like, that's kind of the mindset that I, that's always stayed with me. And so it's like, okay, well, these guys are going to take closures. I'm just going to keep like attacking hitting and like make them chase me. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, yeah, I, I understand I'm giving up this one category and maybe like some ratio help, but you know, I want to. I want to at least make them worry about trying to trying to catch me in the other categories. No, I'm with you. That's one thing I've started to change my mindset to a little more this year. Is especially with pitching. I think it's it's deeper, or at least feels like it, like it might not be deep, deep, but it's the kind of instead of the top like three guys and it's like the next twelve guys. It's more like there's like you know seven or eight, maybe ten really good guys, and there's like feels like thirty or like there's a there's a group of guys where you're just like you know differentiating those going to be a big part of winning, obviously, but you can make arguments for so many more guys. It feels like to, to give them a shot as like your third or fourth pitcher on your team or something compared to the years past. So you can attack hitting a lot more. And it's a, it's a strategy I've been kind of going with. It's like, I'm not going to, I took a starting pitcher not to like round six or seven the other day, just like little things like that, just pounding the hitting early. And it's a, uh, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it, it's 
better off than I thought it would be like in years past. Let's put it that way. So it's definitely a, a philosophy that can take place that uh, as you tinker with the season, that's fun about these, uh, these early drafts, kind of plan and, and see what happens and hopefully, hopefully win some money with it, but uh, get ready for the big dogs in the end. Um, let's talk Astros. I have a lot of questions for you as you <laughs> saw. And it's like, I started making a couple and I started just going around the diamond in my head. I'm like, I got questions about like everybody on this team because it's like, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot about these guys. So we're well, just you, gonna you, start. You, you know, you, you know, my last name is not Baker, though, right? <laughs> well, as a, as a as a Giants fan, um, <laughs> Dusty and I have a mixed relationship. <laughs> there were some so, good. Yeah. So do we. So yeah, do we. So I understand. I I understand <laughs> completely that there's certain days you're just like, are you still here? Are you focused on what's the the task at hand, my friend? But um, then there's other days where he looks like he knows what he's doing. So you never know. But let's just kind of go around the horn here, and uh, we'll start with Alex Bregman. You know, a video came out the other day. He's hitting in the cage. You know, great. But he had that wrist surgery, and uh, when the news came out, because it was kind of a surprise, it felt like, to at least not less non, like it just got tweeted out one day, like, hey, Bregman just had a successful surgery. And um, some of, like, the, you know, Savali, uh, Nick Savali that does, um, you know, baseball PIA rehab work and stuff on Twitter and everything was kind of giving his insight. Derek Rose was kind of giving his, like, past history on it. And they were kind of torn because it surprised everybody. So what are you hearing out of Houston? Like, is he expected to be ready by opening day? Are they concerned about the power? Because anytime you see a wrist injury, there's got to be some power concern. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like a, just a whole weird thing. And, like, me and Matt have talked about it. You know, Matt's a, a surgeon out in California. So it's like he's, like, the perfect person to talk to about this. But, like, there's zero information about, like, is it is it a fracture? Is it bone? Is it ligament? Is it tendon? Like, is it muscle? all these things kind of matter differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, after talking with him, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like why everybody's off. Like, uh, well, no, I shouldn't say every, well, like why I'm off Mike Trout for the same kind of reasons with yeah. power concerns. Like it's, 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 he's in a territory where like, I'm not necessarily avoiding him, but I don't necessarily love him or, or have really been taking him all, all season. Like if he drops, maybe, another 20, 30 picks, like, okay, yeah, that's probably in the territory that I'm going to start going. But, like, the one thing with Bregman, like, he lost his kind of juju. And, like, I know that sounds weird and that's not really analytics or anything, but, like, he he's always been a very, like, cocky type hitter and just lost that the last couple, couple of years. He's, he kind of is starting to get it – is getting it back, I guess. And that's the only thing that kind of makes me – like, he, he definitely has, you know, 100 – like, 200 – uh, runs slash RBI upside with, you know, 25 to 30 home runs in him, and he can run a little bit. Like, you know, I'm not saying a lot, but he could throw in five stolen bases for you. Uh, but that's assuming, like, the, if the Astros let him play, like, I think if, if he is the type of player that will play every single day if, if he's even remotely close to play. So, like, I'm not necessarily concerned about playing time, maybe them taking it slow or whatever. Uh, but without knowing the second what exactly is in that wrist that that he had surgery on, I've kind of just been avoiding him at this point. And that's where I'm at. It's one of those like you know, there's so many guys when you're you're on the clock, you know, your two hour clock or whatever, and you're kind of scrolling through to make sure you haven't missed anything. And you're like, man, it's it's Bregman. It's like pick 100, and you're like, this this feels weird because Bregman should not be going here in years past. And if he's healthy, this is a steal, but it's a big if, because we don't know. It can be the trout thing, like you said. It just it lingers. Which is why you're getting the discount. Yeah, that's exactly why you're getting the discount. Like, if he shows up on opening 
or of spring training, and then you know he puts on this display like Willie Mays Hayes in Major League. You're just like, okay, here we go. He's back to like a third round pick again. But it's it, it's tough. It's tough to, to to take the gamble there with the other pieces around. So I was curious if you guys have heard anything in Houston because um, it's uh, it's weird. It came so out of nowhere with what was going well, on. So it was very strange. Yeah, I mean, they, they had talked about it a little bit, like, at the end of the year and, like, through the playoffs that he was going to have to get something done. But, again, there was really no specifics as to what it was, and it yeah. seemed relatively minor. But, like, teams aren't very forthcoming with injuries now, so they, they like to downplay things already. Uh, and we know so the like, Astros yeah, relying, I, relaying information, so. Again, it just depends. Like, if we have a spring training and, the you know, like, whatever, like, I, I don't think he stays at this price, right? Because, yeah. like, if spring comes and we start to get more news about what actually occurred and like how the recovery went and we see him in games, like I think he will go up. Like, I don't think he's going to go up drastically, but he might, might go on like that 75, 80 pick range, you know, uh, with good news. And then maybe the opposite way, if there's more bad news or it was, it was more non like more major than everybody thought, you know? So like, I don't think he's going to stay around this pick. So it's definitely, if you want to hedge bets or whatever, like, he, he'll probably not stay around a hundred uh, either in, in March. Yeah. So it's, it's plant your flag. Do you, do you yeah. believe or do you don't this kind of situation? Yeah. So that's the beauty of these early drafts. You can, you can find little, little spots like that. Let's talk Jose Altuve, um, a player that is, it, it's weird because you know, the power was there last year, not running a ton anymore, but he's doing everything else. The average, he's going to score a ton of runs. still at the top of that order, you, you got to love what you're getting out of Altuve, but it's just like, he's always getting older and, seems like he's just not getting the love he wants guy. He's like pick 80 right now in the month of January in a draft champions drafts. But the dude, like there, there's, there's like a pocket of consistent players throughout the draft. And Altuve is one of them. So am I just like overthinking this, that he should be like an automatic here, or is there something more to concern yourself with? And that's why he's going later. Yeah. Like I've been picking Altuve, uh, you know, looking into him a little bit more, he definitely changed his swing approach. Like he's definitely very, very pole happy, which is great for the Crawford boxes. But, uh, you know, like I, I've been trying to research, like if he's talked about more of that, because he's, to me, he's, he's, he's a professional hitter. He's like the Miguel, Miguel Cabrera's of the world, you know, like he knows how to hit, like, they, like he could easily bat 300 if he wanted to and take away power or he can hit for power. It seems like the Astros want him hitting for more power, which is why the pull happy kind of approach has, has done it. But like, if you go look at the stat cast page, it's, it's crazy that there's almost like no balls hit the right field. And hmm. it's just very weird for a guy that is a professional hitter. And like, I know can hit to all fields. Uh, so with that being said, like, you know, he probably gets shifted a little bit more this year and his average probably might go down because of that if he's going to stay with that type of pull happy but i think the homers are there the runs are there you, you know like that lineup is is decent enough especially Fregman can can stay healthy uh even if correa moves on which which i do think you know i think it's deep enough where it's not necessarily going to affect him too much but like i i like i like his price there i don't love it but he's fine around that adp going two picks later is brandon lau would you have altuve or lau uh, they kind of have different uh, different qualms about them. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, Lyle's concern is he easily could get platoon. Tampa already loves doing that anyways, but, like, he is one of the few guys that consistently has gotten to play every day, too, in the past. So you kind of have to make a decision on that. Not a cop-out, but, like, they're pretty even to me, but 
I do have more shares of Brandon Lau than than Altuve at this point. It feels like Lau might have the higher ceiling right now, which uh, is is weird to say because I've been an anti-Lau guy until recently. I've you know you learn as you grow, you learn to realize where you're wrong and why. And uh, I was wrong on Brandon Lau, so uh, we'll see where that continues to go. Let's go to a guy I know you like quite a bit, and I'm with you on this one. I'm very very intrigued with what he does this year. But Kyle Tucker. Is he worth this first round pick? His current ADP in January is about pick eleven right now, as high as seven, as low as seventeen. Yeah, I, I saw even Brian Vogel uh, ask a question uh, <laughs> on Twitter, and, and we kind of go back and forth because it's like we're, we're the leaders of, of his fan club. I was, I didn't, I, I didn't expect. I'll be honest. Like I was on him uh, the, in twenty twenty. It was not on him in twenty twenty one. But after what I've seen and, and kind of like looking into him more, I'm, I'm back in uh, for this year. I honestly think like, again, I, I, like I'm not saying he's going to, but he does have a, a, a uh, Juan Soto type year in him. You know, like I easily could see him, you know, 100, 100 plus RBIs, 100 plus runs, you know, uh, 30 to 35 homers, chipping in maybe five to 10 steals. And then I think his average easily could go up like, you go look after April, you know, again, we, we can just manipulate numbers however we want. But like from from May on, he batted almost like 320. Uh, and, and with, you know, the, the counting stats and home runs there. So like if he if he can put it together for a full season and, and then just continually just keep the path that he's on with, you know, and, and growing as a hitter, like, you know, he's he's he batted sixth uh, and fifth a lot in the Astros lineup. But with Correa gone, I easily could see him maybe taking Brantley's place in the two spot. I, I could see him being in a three hole or four hole. You know, it, it's tricky with Dusty Baker because like, yeah. for whatever reason, like it doesn't seem like he likes Kyle Tucker as maybe. He loves as much his as veterans. Loves yeah, his he, veterans. Like, <laughs> uh, and even, even the first year I, I was on him, it just, it didn't seem like they were wanted to give him a chance. And like, I don't know. So, if they let him play every day, like me and Brian think, like I, I think he easily could be a top five pick next year. Like I, I really love him and, and where he's going. Like I, I would take him over a lot of a lot of the the earlier hitters uh, going in, in the first. Yeah, I'm a, a huge fan of his. Like even back uh, when they were trying to make trades and everything, and I was like, you can trade a lot of guys. Do not trade Kyle Tucker. Like you're going to regret trading Kyle Tucker. They wouldn't trade T. Oscar. I remember I saw him when they were playing in Fresno, and the Astros team was in Fresno, and. I was like, Oscar had a big day. He's pounding the ball everywhere. He had a cannon from the alpha. I'm like, great player. Toronto got a good one and it turned out to be good. But you kept Kyle Tucker. Like, keep Kyle Tucker because he's a legit, like, 30-30 dude if, if things start to click. Maybe 30-20. I, I think he's got the speed to do it, but we'll see if they let him run. Um, yeah, like, he, he rarely gets caught stealing. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's, like, where he is in the lineup or what. Like, it's they, weird. They just don't really let him run that often. I don't know if it's him or the Astros. I, I don't really know. But, yeah. like. Darn good player, darn good player. So I think it's fun. Like I, uh, when I came back from from floor, first pitch Arizona, I already started talking about like, okay, I, I had bets over him. He goes way over bets now. I'm past that. Like we moved on from there. Now it's to me, it's like Harper versus Tucker is an interesting discussion to me because I can see both sides. Like we've seen Harper do it a, a bunch of times. If you kind of want that, you know, I've done it before in your first round pick. Sure, you want to go for the moon? You got Tucker. I'm assuming you go Tucker over Harper. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, Tucker versus Acuna? Because we don't know he's fully healthy, but things look promising. 
Yeah, I, I'd still take Tucker over Acuna, even if like he comes back in spring and kind of show. I think the Braves just play it safe with his knee. Like I'm not saying it's going to be a full stop, but like you know, he he may have 20 instead of going for 40 stolen bases that type yeah. of year if he's healthy going into spring and show kind of showcases everything. Yeah, that's my biggest concern. Is like I don't have a question that he'll probably play early in the season. It's how much does he run? Like does he not run to like the All Star break or something? That could be very possible, and that yeah. changes a lot a lot of things there. So. Um, I, I love Acuna, but I think it's it, it's a tough one. Another tough one to go early in the drafts. What is a tough one is who the heck are the Astros playing at shortstop this year? You know, I, I think it's going to be a veteran still. Like, I know there's been more talk about Jeremy Pena starting the year. Like, he is a defensive wizard. Like, uh, they played him in winter ball. They, you know, they, 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 uh, he's getting the time and like Tampa, you know, James Click is from Tampa. So he's not afraid of like letting a, a rookie start. But again, it's just that dusty Baker factor factor. Like I just can't believe that he's going to let a rookie shortstop from Korea be his starting shortstop come opening day. Like they're like, you know, I I've been a big believer. They're going to sign story, uh, you know, kind of replace because they offered, you know, Korea that five year, what 160 so it seems like they have like 150 million to play with which is kind of what story's been rumored to kind of get uh and kind of would i think almost replace korea's bat like almost pretty identically well, pretty well and he'd, and he'd run more and he'd run more yeah uh i think he'd fit perfectly here now again it's not my money and it's not my mm-hmm. team uh so like even if it is pena like i just I still think they signed some type of veteran. You know, I think Diaz plays there even a lot now. Like, I think he'd play against lefties and maybe Pena plays against right. Like, I don't think it's going to be a full-time role, even if it is Pena with the job to start. Like, no way he just hands it over and gives him the keys. Yeah, it, it's a fun one. I know um, we have uh, Vlad Stether talking about Solomon and some other guys. It's it's up for grabs right now. It looks like it's shortstop. But let's go to the outfield where something else is up for grabs. Like, we know Tucker should be there every day. You still got Michael Brantley there, and he's a, just a pure hitter. There's nothing wrong with what Michael Brantley does. But then you had McCormick last year. You had Siri last year. You had a couple of other guys chip in from time to time. How do you attack this come draft day? You know, uh, with with Brantley, like especially later on, he was having a lot of like you know leg issues, uh, and Baker was basically keeping him out of the outfield and maybe DHing him a lot more, even playing Jordan out there yeah. just to give Brantley a break. Uh, so that tells me like Brantley's not an everyday player that much anymore. Like, uh, because again, like, are you going to put Jordan out there and sacrifice defense? You know, Jordan's really a DH to begin with. I mean, he has his own leg problems. Uh, so it's, it's kind of this weird thing where like Brantley's a professional header too. And like, he's great as a number two header. Like he needs to be in the lineup, but I think he, he gets a little bit more breaks this year. Um, uh, I think Dusty wants to keep him fresh, especially if they're thinking about another playoff run. I think uh, you'll see maybe Jose Siri play against lefties a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think Baker kind of gained some respect for for him in the playoffs. Uh, you know, McCormick will start in center. I think uh, they're pretty happy with him. Uh, I mean, they traded away the the infamous straw trade just because they mm-hmm. they wouldn't play McCormick, and uh, that was their way of figuring that out. But like the, the guy I really love is Jake Myers, and I understand he's coming off of shoulder surgery, but like man, this kid like. I think what I'm, I'm thinking like he's going to take over one of those jobs, whether it's due to injury or just 
playing time over McCormick or whatever by like June or July. Like that's how much I believe in him. Like he's he's pretty much going after that. I think they're around the same time as Jose's theory uh, and, and draft. That's the guy I would bet on. Maybe not. He's not going to get you playing time initially, and especially in 15 team leagues, but you can't really. He's not a guy worth holding on to to start the season and just like sit there for a month. Uh, but he's somebody I'm definitely interested in. Like once he starts coming up, yeah, I know uh, John Fish. You know the guy that drafts fifty thousand leagues. He's done a lot of drafts where he takes like all three of those outfielders at the end. He's like, I, I'm going to have the center fielder for the Astros, and it's going to be fun. So it's one way to do it, I guess. So it's it, it's definitely interesting. Uh, let's go to the mound. And I already saw your notes on this one. It makes me very happy, and I'm kind of afraid to ask a question now because I don't want people to uh, hear this. But what's your outlook on Justin Verlander? Because I think he's a great value right now. Yeah, I, I think the the best comparison I, I, I've heard so far, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Rob Silver, but he, he was like, what's, what's the difference between Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander right now? Like, mm-hmm. why is why is Scherzer going, you know, into the first, top of the second, and Verlander's going, you know, pick 100, 110? Uh, and, is it, and it's just all uncertainty, you know? Like, there's less uncertainty with Scherzer than there is Verlander, but, like, Verlander's, like, had way more time to recover. Uh, it, like if the season was still going to go on in like November, he probably would have started pitching in November. But like, so he's, he's had these extra even months to prepare normally. Uh, he's got an incentive laden contract where basically 150 innings uh, guarantees him another like, you know, ungodly 30 million or something like that. <laughs> so like, to me, that, that tells me that he's pretty confident that he can do 150 innings. Like he may not be the stud, like, 200 inning, 220, like he's been in the past, but I think he's going to be very, very damn good for 150 to 160 innings. And it's also the, the argument I've had this whole time is, unlike young kids coming back from TJ where they baby him back, they're giving Verlander the ball and he's going to yeah. go because he doesn't have many more years in that arm. And so once he's cleared to go, he's going. And that's well, that's my biggest thing. Yeah, and, and they just signed him to a contract. So like if they yeah. didn't think he was ready to go, uh, yep. They wouldn't have gave him fifty, sixty million dollars. They can okay, we're just gonna wait for next year, and that, like we're just that's our way of getting you for next year. Like they, I, I think they really truly believe that he's ready to go. That's why you know they did the pitching showcase. That's why the Yankees and other teams were were actively trying to to, to grab him too. Like everybody knows he's a veteran, which again helps in a lockout year where like yeah, you don't have the rehab and the coordinators helping you. Like he's been through this. Like he he knows how to rehab. He, I think he's just back. Uh, and again, I think it's price. He's not going to stay here uh, again. He's another guy in the spring. Like he's going to jump up once everybody starts seeing the 95, 96 on the radar gun again. He'll, he'll be up there by Chris sale and then we'll, we'll be talking. So it'll be fun. Uh, Lance McCullers. He's a guy that keeps falling in drafts now because of the way the season ended, the kind of dead arm slash forearm strain that MRI has revealed no damage. He started throwing recently. He responded to, Eno Saris saying, yes, I'm throwing. He's had that pitcher list interview, which is actually pretty good talking about, what he's got going on. And I love Lance McCullers, but I'll be honest, I'm nervous as heck. And I just have, I've had a trouble drafting him right now. So um, the price is great if you can get the innings, but I'm terrified of what, what's to come. So what's your thoughts on Lance McCullers? Yeah, no, I, I get that. And, and again, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit more risk averse. So like, you know, he's a, he's, he's an ace like pitcher, you know, if he, if he is healthy and that's a big if I know. Uh, but like, you know, every, everybody said kind of the same thing about Tanaka, you know, when he had his, his elbow issues and like, oh, his arm's going to fall off. Like he needs, he needs, I don't know why he's not getting surgery and like uh, just avoid, avoid. And he went out there for two, three years and just pitched on it. 
and, and did just fine. Like, I'm, is McCullers going to do the same thing? Who knows? Like, he easily can blow up uh, week one after his first start and be shut down and, like, then get TJ. And it's like, well, why did you not just do this in the first place? Uh, he He's kind of a warrior. He, he's also kind of been through that process. So, like, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of more trusting the player a little bit more, which I know is not a good thing uh, most of the time. But the fact that management kind of didn't push for it either makes True. me believe that they see something structurally where they can maybe see like, okay, there is a path back. Like, you know, again, the landscape has changed. They, like they don't need McCullers to, to go out and pitch 200 innings. They, they're thinking, okay, if he can give us 140 to 150 innings, that's more than enough. Uh, and I think that's more than enough that you need for in, in fantasy these days. So like, to me, I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm in on the price. I like the price. Uh, I have no issue, especially in Fab Leagues. That's what I was uh, going to say. Fab Leagues, I could see myself doing it a lot more. Yeah, because, again, he's, he's what I kind of talked about earlier. Like, if it doesn't work out, he's done. Like, like yep. he's an easy drop, you know. Yep. And, yeah, you're giving up a, a, a middle-round pick to do that. But, again, it's like you're not tied to that player. You can make a decision pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's to be like like the DCs. I, I you still have such a deep pool, so I, I could see you doing it. There's some about just and there's so many injuries. You kind of want that guy, but like in the month of January, he's going to pick 182 right now. Like even in DCs, that's kind of feasible. But in a fab league, if it's like 150 on, like legit, you could grab him and drop him if you had to. Like that's not really that big of a deal compared to some of these other guys. So I, I think I'm going to be getting more involved in him as I get more towards the fab experience. I guess in, in DCs, I've been a little more hesitant, and maybe that's a fault of mine. But I have I love Lance McCullers, and I, I agree. Um, the fact he's already throwing and, and he's been through it before is something on the positive side for sure. Um, Framber Valdez, this is a guy that I love. Um, I, I know he can walk guys a lot, which can be a little scary, but the dude's a horse. He's going to give you innings. He's usually a, a decent strikeout guy more often than not. Um, is he a potential fantasy ace in the future? Maybe not this year. Or is he more just like, you know, middle of the pack guy that's uh, good to fill out your roster? You know, Framber's kind of like this weird case of like, uh, he, he pitches very deep in the games. Uh, like, the one thing, again, like we, the one of the hardest things that we have to project is like wins, right? And so it's almost like a disregarded talked about category. Uh, but the one thing he does do is he's on a good team. He usually goes six or seven because, you know, he's just, very efficient in what he does. Uh, and he's kind of in that range of a strikeout and inning a little bit below. Uh, but again, like where he's going, you, you kind of, the reason why I like drafting him is, you know, he's more in line to maybe get you wins. He's not going to kill you in ERA and whip. Do, do I think he's like a future ace? No, I think he's more of the Keuchel. Uh, I was about to say uh, you're a lot of Keuchel. And I know that's a weird comparison as far as like everybody says it. It's just an easy comparison, but like they're just very, very similar, like ground ball, ground ball specialists. Uh, the one thing again, like that helps is if Jeremy Pena is the shortstop, he is a defensive wizard. So that helps Valdez. Uh, if they bring in story, he's a pretty good defensive shortstop. So like that helps them. So, but if it's like somebody like Diaz, like <laughs> he's okay. But again, like then it starts to be a little bit more concerning for Valdez. So like, it's it's all about the defense, I think, and what they put behind him uh, that kind of makes Valdez who he is. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of he seemed to have fantasy relevance because he like accumulated through his innings, not so much that he dominated like you know Garrett Cole or Degrom could throw five innings and strike out eleven and get the job done. Where 
Framber's got to throw like seven to get his six to seven strikeouts. Like he's got to yeah, go yeah. in there to make it kind of work for you. So two different types of a way to get there. Uh, Luis Garcia, 155 innings last year. Very, very sharp. Good looking stuff. Um, for one, the innings, that's just a great thing because now we can kind of build off of that going forward. But um, he's always picked 132 right now. Is that too rich? Or should we be like, yes, let's have some? What's your thoughts on Luis Garcia? Yeah, I, I think he's the the number two uh, right now in the Astros rotation. I, I really, really like him. Uh, I like his kind of swagger, his stuff. Uh, I, you know, he, he's another one that's got a little bit more K upside, but uh, he, he's still very, very efficient. You know, uh, it, it's kind of weird. He kind of came out of nowhere. Wasn't necessarily like the expectations for him doing this wasn't really there. Uh, so it's kind of found money for the Astros. Um, I, you know, I, I like, I have zero problem with, with where he's going. So, uh, yeah. Uh, bye, bye, bye is what I, what I have to say. I was looking at roster resource right now and I, I didn't put it on the outline, but it stood out to me in a big way. Christian Javier is projected to start in the minors. What are your thoughts on that? Cause that guy was filthy last year. Yeah. I, like again, I don't know how they really do that. Uh, all that really tells me is they they m- must think that he's a sixth starter, which I think he is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think I, I don't necessarily know the Astros' plan with that. Like I know they liked him in 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 the uh, relief role last year, but that was kind of like a way to manage innings because he started. Uh, and and basically they had their starters, so they kind of could afford to do that to manage innings. Uh, but he is a starter. I, I know they view him as a starter. I like him as a starter. Uh, I you know he's kind of useless in the bullpen like you know it's, he's not necessarily a, a a setup guy like a Naris or somebody like he's, you know he's a multi-inning type guy but he doesn't necessarily isn't like the shut down just back of the end type guy so like you know he's a good sixth seventh inning type reliever I would say um, but like as a starter I think that's where his real value is and like he can give you good five innings you know but again like it's just the the chance is not there for houston uh, in houston right now for him yeah no i i i, I like taking chances on him in uh you know the draft champions because uh, i think he's still gonna end up getting a handful of starts at some point this season but uh fab league's a little tricky for sure uh let's head to the bullpen uh presley 26 saves last year 12 in the shortened season he's looked pretty good good strikeout stuff uh for the astros is he pretty much the dude or is there any concern of uh, someone potentially taking that over? Yeah, he's the guy. I mean, like, uh, there's zero concern. Like, they they were pitching Presley and every key situation in the, in the playoffs. They they know he's their uh, – Baker knows he's his, his best reliever. Like, he's just steady Eddie, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. That's exactly the makeup you like, you know. He's kind of like that Mark Melanson deuce back in Mark Melanson's kind of, like, heyday you know like he wasn't this flashy guy but he just would get the job done every single day i mean you could i guess say the same thing now yeah Uh, it's not it's it's just never pretty uh but like you know back in his heyday it was pretty shut down like he wouldn't get the three strikeouts but it'd be ground ball pop up ground ball and 10 pitches later the game the game's end ended so that's what he does that's what he does very very well um, you know, we didn't talk about Jordan or Brantley or anybody else. Does uh, anybody else stand out to you that we need to uh, kind of be jumping on in drafts or uh, thoughts on some of these other Astros players? Yeah, I, I love Jordan. Uh, uh, to be honest, I, I like. I think he's a great bet for AL uh, MVP. Like, I I think he's a second round value. He's kind of been going late second, early third. Kind of been trending up there a little bit uh, here over the last two or three weeks. 
but yeah, like if he's in the in the third round, especially middle of the third round, like oh man, I love that. It's, like I understand that he has no no speed, but like like he easily could put up a Vlad season, maybe a little bit less runs, but like he's got you know he can hit for average, he can hit for power, he's a run producer in a good lineup, like hits the cover off the ball. Like I, I love him this year. Uh, it would not be a surprise at all if he wins the MVP. Yeah, I picked 33 in the month of January, so not too shabby there. End of round two, early round three to, to get it done for you. Uh, let's talk about some other players that are of interest for you here early in draft season. You had a, a fun list here that kind of lets us spitball some other things, but uh, one guy you liked was Freddie Peralta, who, you know, we've seen it in, in Milwaukee. You had the Woodruff, and he's a lockdown guy now. You had Burns last year, obviously. Peralta was very solid last year, you know, surprised many, I think, with 144 innings when there's – you know, even on opening day, he was out of the bullpen behind Lindblom for one day, and then it, it all flipped. So what's your thoughts on Freddie this year? Because this Brewers team is, you know, starting to show they can develop these studs. Yeah, you know, this is, you know, I, I've always been a Freddie, like, truther. I don't know what you want to call it, but I've always been a little fanboy of him. So uh, I, I've, I've liked him kind of before Burns and Woodruff. Uh, like, he's kind of been – my guy on that team and it hasn't really necessarily worked out yet uh, obviously those two are way better uh i will say like you know i gotta get a little bit of odds you know i'm just like a, a gambling man like I'll, I'll take peralta against one of those two uh as far as like out earning him this year i think he takes a jump uh you know he's got great movement on his fastball like if he to me the, the key with him is him committing uh to maybe throwing the change up a little bit more but especially the slider if he can throw the slider a little bit more like he's got a great curveball uh and he's got a phenomenal slider and if he if, if he turns that pitch a little bit more i think the k's go way up um i think you know the the, the baby gloves with him are kind of going to finally come off a little bit um and like i see him around 180 uh starting uh, uh innings this year which i know that's like oh that's not really that much but like when most of the starters are going 150 like yeah. 180 is the new kind of 200 uh, in our fantasy baseball landscape. So, like, that's kind of, like, the floor I see him. Like, anything above that's just crazy. But, like, I, I love him as price, like, uh, and I'll probably own a lot of him this year. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. 180 would be outstanding because we've seen what, uh, you know, even Woodruff and Burns could do at 180. And Peralta, like you said, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he outproduces them. I, I'm still a believer in those guys. Like, Woodruff's kind of a floor guy. Burns, we saw the ceiling. Peralta definitely has that upside. I'm 100% with you. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, and it, it would be interesting if he kind of mixed that. That was the fun part last year is, you know, he added a pitch to the pitch mix. And now he wasn't a two-pitch guy. And that was a big thing. And now it's, okay, let's utilize that third pitch some more. Let's let's yeah. really make some things happen. I'm with you because that's how these guys do take the next step. So we'll be fun and let's make that team even nastier. If you have three guys that could literally go out there and throw seven-plus almost every time out, like what that does for a bullpen is ridiculous. So – It'll be and plus in that division, the Pirates, the Cubs are rebuilding. Uh, you, you got some fun little little matchups to to toy with as well. So yeah, the Brewers just as a team, especially with those three, it just makes it easy because you got Hader and Devin Williams in the back. Like how are you supposed yeah. to hit against like three out of five days of the week with the? It's rough. You know, like, yeah, you're like, oh yes, Adrian Hauser next tomorrow. Thank God, you know. I remember when the Giants had to play him last year in, in September, like big games for both teams were like getting into the playoffs and like Giants obviously trying to keep the Dodgers away. And it was like that, like, okay, it's Woodruff, Burns, and might not have been Peralta. We, we, they faced two out of the three every time. I'm just like, this is ridiculous right now. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fair watching what was going on. So, 
yeah, yeah, the Brewers, it's going to be one of these years soon where they're going to make a serious run because it's just going to click. Like the off in the postseason so far, it's just their offense has been cold. They've run into walls and they just haven't hit. The pitching's so good, though. It's going to be that's a team like perennially, and the odds are obviously not as good as they used to be, but. That's one of those like World Series odds. You just got to look at them because if you can put three aces out there in a postseason series, dangerous, very dangerous. Yep. And this, a- this Ashby kid who everybody loves, that could be another monster if uh, if things come to fruition. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Will Smith, catcher. Like, you know, we talk about uh, we talk about JTR. We talk about what Salvi did last year. Dalton Varsho, Grandal, Contreras. Will Smith's in the discussion as well. You uh, like Will Smith a little more than others, it seems like. Yeah, I think he's the best catcher on the board. I think I've been saying this since the end of last year. Uh, like, he's my number one. Like, I, I think a lot of people are downplaying, like, with the NLDH and having his bat in the lineup. Like, that's third again for a great Dodgers lineup that could even get better, you know, if they add a Freddie Freeman or something like that. Uh, and it's just all about at bats, him, his growth, and, and you know, the lineup construction. Uh I think a lot of people just are, are downplaying. Like I know Salvi had a great year last year, you know, and again, he's been more of a, an accumulator kind of his, his year, uh, his entire career, you know, JTR is still, again, to me, JTR has kind of been more trending that way as an accumulator versus kind of like, Oh, well, like he's a must have per on a per game basis. Uh, I think Will Smith, like, especially if you play DFS, like, He's always priced up and like he's always almost a must own uh, on a DFS slate. So like uh, maybe that's where my love came from just playing him in DFS all last year. Uh, But yeah, like to me, he's the top catcher on the board. So getting him as a third and pick 65, 70, like, yeah, I'll take it every day. Yeah, no, he was a DFS darling. That's for sure. Well, the Dodgers were always a fun late night hammer. But uh, Will Smith is the one that kind of got forgotten about because catchers get forgotten about, especially expensive catchers. So he was always a fun one for those that uh, paid attention to those kind of things. Um, with Will Smith, I think it's a fun conversation. I don't know if maybe I just don't listen to the right show, but it seems like it doesn't get talked about enough because one of the conversations about Salvi and and JTR is like, and you mentioned accumulated, is they get tons of at-bats because they play a ton. Uh, Will Smith played 130 games last year, maybe with the DH, plays 135 to 140. I think that's fair. Maybe a little more. You never know. But um, – is it safe to say in a world where you mentioned Zimmerman and Phil and these guys, it's like, say, plate appearances, plate appearances, plate appearances. With the catcher's position, I know the emphasis on the guys is, but should we be more worried about just comparing the stats that most catchers put up compared to actual plate appearances? Because it's not like you're playing an outfielder at the catcher's position just because you have an open spot, if that makes any sense. But it's like we're we're sitting here comparing the need for at-bats when most catchers just don't get at-bats. So let's take the quality of a Will Smith over these uh, guys that accumulate, as you say. Does that make sense at all? Is what I'm trying to say there. Kind of like I, I think I might know where you're going with that. Like, like uh, catchers have well, a even lot if, of negative it, values. So, yes. like, is it is it better to 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 just like you know have a have a negative value catcher even if he's going to get plate appearances? Like, I'm more of the like, yeah, I'd rather almost take. The, the backup catcher that might only get nine at bats in the okay. entire week. If like a perfect example, like more of a DC guy, you know, like an Andrew Neiser, like uh, uh, somebody like that, like Molina is going to play every single day. Yeah. And, and Neiser probably maybe gets one, maybe two games at most. It's like, okay, well, I'm almost fine eating a zero just because 
uh, everybody else is going to be just negative value, unless you're Mike Zunino. And that's yeah. just like a running joke. Uh, you know, I'm a Mike Zunino guy. Uh, and I understand of how much everybody hates him, but like, I just love him for so many different reasons. He mashes lefties, destroys them. But uh, it's just it's just something I've started looking at more and more, like especially this latest draft, because I've been I, I try to get like one of the top, you know, six, seven catchers, like one of them, and then I'll pair them down the list. But this draft, like guys are just flying off of them. So I kind of just let it go. And I'm, I'm focusing more on the lower catchers and they all kind of they're all the same. So it's like, why are we trying to uh, overemphasize certain things and just kind of go and I don't know, it's, 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 it's a yeah, process I- going through draft season. Like, why are we focused on this so much? Yeah, I've typically been a punt catcher uh, type player. Uh, the only reason why I'm taking Will Smith is just because I, I think he's just a tremendous value. Oh, he's so, a stud. Like, he's a stud. Yeah, yeah. And, and but uh, for my second catcher, it's unless it's another specific catcher, uh, I'm basically put, punting the position. And and like you said, they're just all grouped together. They're all the same guy uh, as far as the catcher too. So I'll just play the the weekly platoon game. So if you like Mike Zunino, do you like Gary Sanchez? Uh, I do a little bit. Uh, he's not like a must own or anything. He's kind of in that group. Uh, yep. But I think I think I'm higher than most. Uh, I just like drafted I always, him. Yeah, I just drafted yeah, him. Look at looking at him some more. Yeah, it seems like again he's got the Zunino mold of shitty average and yep. uh, uh, and high home run probabilities, or, or he has that that in him. So it's like at least I'm getting that. Even if I'm going to have like a, a a crap average, I might as well get something from from, from my yeah. catcher. And that's kind of the discussion. I know people really don't care about catchers that much, but you look at uh, Gary and maybe he hits two fifteen, two twenty, hopefully, uh, but hits you twenty five plus homers. Where you know, like Carson Kelly's hitting two thirty with like thirteen homers. So like, where, yeah, where what are we doing here? Yeah, the only thing I'm a little bit worried with Gary is like, obviously they're not going to really play him at DH anymore, and I think. Uh, uh, Hikatashi or whatever, uh, yeah. I think probably steals a little bit more at bats, just defensive wise. You know, he's well, not he'll, getting, catch, he's he'll never, catch pull every fifth day for sure. Yeah, and, and I think you know, I think they're going to find out that like his defense just keeps going down. It's never been good, but like so, I think he, he steals at bats just for that reason alone. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm kind of even down on where everybody else is putting his at bats, but like I, I still think he's okay. Yeah, it's just it's just something I, I was I was noticing. Want to get your thoughts on that one? Speaking of the Yankees, DJ LeMahieu, um, down season last year, and if it was weird because like I knew he had a down season, but then you look, he still played a ton of games, played over 150 games. So it's like, what happened? And you know, news has come out now. He had an injury, had surgery, all these things that kind of make you sit back and go, okay, well that that kind of makes a little sense. So assuming he's healthy, leading off for the Yankees seems pretty good still. Yeah, and the big thing for me, and it's been talked about everywhere, it's just like he had surgery. Uh, it's there, there it is. It, it got fixed. He's got a whole winter. He's a veteran. He knows how to rehab. Uh, so to me, like he's just like how he was. Like I, I wasn't a believer of second round Lemayhew, but you know I've always thought he was a good, you know, you know fifth, sixth, seventh rounder. Like if you go look at his previous seasons, maybe until like five or six years ago like he's going to deliver you a high average get you run he's, yeah the the home runs i'm not necessarily uh like expecting 25 or 30 but like he's been a 10 home run 15 home run guy uh and like he plays every day so like like i think in every single stat category from last year he's got tremendous upside on everything uh and, and again it's just recency biased and i think the problem's gotten taken care of i i, I really like him he qualifies at three positions i'm not a position guy uh but i mean it certainly helps and it, it's not like he's getting the multi-positional bump um 
as other guys are. Hundred percent. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys. I've told myself I got to kind of re- readjust how I'm, I'm kind of approaching re- approaching him because uh, I've just been off of him in years past. That's because he was going so high in drafts. Now uh, that price tag is a different animal. And leading off for the Yankees, it's tough to not be productive if you play there majority of the season. So that's definitely one you got to look at. Another guy leading off, or I guess he hit third a couple times, but you'll hit you'll hit towards the top of the Jays lineup, which for those keeping track at home, pretty good lineup. Um, and that's George Springer, obviously late start to the year because of injuries when he came back, just torched the baseball. Like you talk DFS, like that was the automatic yeah. plug him into your lineup play every single game. Then he got hurt again. And that's just the thing with Springer. You experienced it in Houston. Like we've, you've experienced it for a while. Yeah. Um, but he's going to pick 70 right now. So thoughts. Yeah. I, again, a guy that I really, really loved, I, I was in on him last year and it just sucked that, you know, it just kind of lingered and kind of you know, lasted way, way longer than everybody expected. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's again, that's been his, his, his thing. It's like he's, he's banged up. But again, it, to me, it's just – he's a guy that's going to play every single day. He's like a, a Justin Turner of the world. Like if he's somewhat healthy, he's going to play every day. Uh, he's he's going to hit on top of the lineup. Like it's amazing. Like if you just go look at his game, like when he plays, like he's always doing something. Like he doesn't put up a lot of offers or whatever. Like even if he does go for – or like somehow he gets an RBI that day or like, you know, it's, it's just, he, he's always delivering something. I, I, I love it. He's always been a run guy. He's always finds, finds ways to score, get on base. Like, you know, the on base percentage is, is usually pretty good, which I know doesn't really count for anything, but he's got a good base at 265, which is almost above average at this point in major leagues. And, you know, he's got power and, you know, with with the lineup around him batting first, you know, and it turning over, you know, if, if Toronto's going to stay a good offense in that park, uh, you know, his RBIs are going to be up. Like they've always been around that 80 mark, you know, like I'm, I'm not expecting it to go that much higher because the Astros lineups were just as good, you know, back when he was doing that. Uh, but like, it wouldn't surprise me either if it was, it was more like, again, he's just always kind of been this undervalued, guy that everybody knows is good but again is when you get to him nobody just clicks his name because they like somebody a little bit more or whatever uh but for me like i've, I've just been a, a in love with george springer ever since houston like i think this year like i just knowing uh his personality fun fact like his parents used to always come out to center field where i hang out like you know i used to see them every day like uh that i would go you know they're just very modest very like you know you can just tell like he was raised right. And so, yeah. like, again, that, that doesn't matter at all for fantasy. But, like, I just it's take more good. of that as work at, work ethic slash mm-hmm. him wanting to be in the lineup every day. Like, he's just a guy that, like, unless he physically can't, like, he's going to be there. Uh, and I'll just take the chance. Like, to me, it's it's you're, you're gambling on his injury risk. And that's, again, why he's going where he's going. But, like, you know, you're going to have to take some type of gambles in any draft you're doing with any type of player. Uh, you can only draft safe for so long with so many players. Um, so, like, he's just a guy I'm willing to take a chance on. Yeah, and uh, there's something you said about work ethic and stuff. There's a lot of things I look at outside the box that if you played the game or something kind of stands out that'll change a guy. But uh, a couple of kind of comparisons where he's getting drafted, just out of curiosity. Would you rather have George Springer or Eloy Jimenez? You know, I, I do like Eloy a lot, but I still take uh, uh, Springer. Springer or Castellanos? Springer, hands down. 
All right. Well, we see where you does the those are the two outfielders going right near him. Like you got Altuve, you got Chisholm, you got Arenado, but those are the outfielders right there. So I want to get your thoughts on those ones. Uh, Eloy is a fun one too. That could be another guy that kind of blows up from his draft price as well. So someone to keep an eye on. But this next one is very, very fun because, again, if you played a lot of DFS, you played Michael A. Taylor more than you thought you probably would at times uh, for this Royals team. And um, if you played in 15-team leagues, you added him in a lot more leagues than you thought you'd ever add him in because he hits ninth. It's not attractive, but he's productive. And you you wanted to talk about him because I think it was Rob Silver or someone talking about, you know, 15-15. I was like at 12-14 last year while hitting 244. Projections have him for like – 13 to 15 homers, 12-ish stolen bases, which you're getting at his ADP of... Um, like 415. Yeah, that's some, Chris some Taylor. Uh, 400 right now in the month of okay, January. Yeah. 400. Still a pretty good price tag. Yeah, it, it, Jeff Zimmerman hates Michael Taylor, and, that, uh, and they they talk about it on their show like constantly. They, they both uh, hate him, and, and like I agree with them. Uh, I, I don't like him either. Uh, he's a horrible actual player. Uh, I don't know why they give him at bats, but like, again, like uh, you, the one thing that's always talked about is like, okay, well, I'm not going to take Edward Olivares because obviously the Royals don't like him. And yeah. that's why I get sent down. So like, why, why keep trying to get on that train? Well, it's the same thing with Michael Taylor. Like they just re-signed him. Why is he still not going to play in center field for another 400 to 500 at bats again? Like mm-hmm. he's going to do the same thing he did last year, which again is, you can you can argue like he had negative value last year and probably is a negative value player, but again, it's like I'm not looking to play him for all 400, 500 at bats either. You know, uh, he's more of a pick your spots like you know who's what series is he going in against what catcher and like you know he he's he's definitely a platoon type hitter for me, but like that's all he needs to be at his price. Uh, and in like DCs, he's a free 400, 500 at bats like that you know is going to play every day. Yeah, tremendous. He had 528 at bats last year. That is insane. They get a Michael A. Taylor with that. But yeah, it's in a DC. He's like the perfect late pick. Um, probably not a draft in a redraft league, but uh, definitely a fab target. If, if things get bleak in a 15 team or something, or you never know. Maybe he catches fire even more and there's a step we don't even know about. I doubt it, but you never know. So um, it, it is interesting to see him going that late. But it's, you know, you go, you, you'd start sifting through that later ADP and you're like, wait a minute, why is this guy who plays every single day still down here compared to this guy that's. Maybe he comes up in September. Like it's it's an interesting predicament down in the DC streets. But uh, the last guy you have here is a guy I love, and that's Garrett Cooper. I've written about him a couple times. Um, I quote tweeted something from him the other day, and he favorited it, and I laughed. I'm like, you are board rehabbing, aren't you? But um, he's swinging in the cage. He's looking healthy. He said he's ready to go. And when this guy is in the lineup, he hits. He hits hard. Like he's really, really good. He just had some health issues in the past, and this Marlins team is going to be better offensively than people give him credit for. Not world beaters, but better than they give him credit for. So, pick four sixty five right now, Dusty. Like this is pretty pretty decent. Yeah, I think a lot of the Marlins hitters are actually underrated, uh, to be honest. But like again, Cooper's kind of like one of those guys I've identified for the NLDH. Like he just yeah. is the perfect NLDH. Like okay, like he's we can just have him hit. He, he's proven to be a good hitter when he's in the lineup. He does pretty much everything. He gives you some average, like, you know, his runs and RBIs are usually the same. He usually has a good spot in the lineup. It's just, he can't stay on the field. Uh, but like with the DH, if that gets, that gets added, it takes a less, a little bit less injury liability away from him. And again, like I understand, like they probably won't make him a permanent DH, but again, if he gives you 350 to 400, 450 at bats, 
Like all of a sudden he looked really, really attractive down there. Uh, what really got me on, on him. And like, I, again, if you're not following Craig Mish now for any type of national news slash Marlins news specifically, uh, like you're missing out, but like, he loves Garrett Cooper, like, and he'll be the first one to tell you like, yeah, this guy is a flat out good ball player. And it's, you know, like it, it shows up. It's just, he never plays. And again, that's why he's down here. But again, why not gamble on, uh, on playing time, especially at this price? Yeah, I'm a huge Cooper fan. He's he's a guy I know that uh, in redraft leagues, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to draft him right now, but 100% will be on that first watch list. Like, he's going to be a guy that the second there's buzz about playing time or he's one of those we talked about at the beginning of the show, like look ahead a few weeks and they have a bunch of lefties on the agenda or something. Like, this is a, a guy to, to, to get to because he can hit righties just fine too, but, like, he'll mash you a lefty. So I, I, I love Garrett Cooper, and he's a very, very – like. He's one of those guys that for some for some reason something happened to like Aguilar or something like he could just walk in and besides the DH thing which I completely agree with but um, definitely a guy to keep on the radar that I think he's another one that once people see him in like spring training he might move up a little bit not a ton because it's still you know a bench bat but I think people start realizing he's healthy and let's pay attention a little more so with you on that uh, let's get to a couple uh, listener questions here um, at Matthew Fryer asks. Does um, do you favor Chaz McCormick, Jose Siri, and Jake Myers? Let's say DC mode. Um, who do you favor? You, you said you like Jake Myers, but if you had to pick one, is that the guy you're going with? Yeah, I want to go with Jake Myers if I had, if, if I got to pick one. Okay, um, your good buddy Phil Duso. Uh, I don't know the robe story, but I must let that go. But he says, <laughs> for, he said, I like to know if Dusty is currently lying down on his couch in a bathrobe. I've never seen him in any other position. Well, Phil, you can watch, and no, he's not. But um, he said, last year you made a controversial decision when you dropped Edwin Diaz. How did that work out in hindsight? Was it the right move? Jenny Butler was also curious about this. Yeah, so the rope story really quick is just uh, in our $2,500 DC MTM draft that we did. Uh, we, we, you know, and uh, I don't think it was, it, it, yeah, it was last year. Uh, it was in March. We were all on a Zoom call and it was like late at night. Everybody's talking whatever like i'm tired as all get out i'm just sitting laying down just listening to the chat or and, and everybody just you know bsing uh and and phil's just kind of like yeah i guess you're comfortable right there and i was just like look man like i, I don't care at this point like it's yeah. just it's fine uh so that's kind of like the robe story awesome. whatever um but yeah as far as that you know i i it's funny. I read. Uh, uh, I think Todd Whitestone does does a little article of, of yep. drops or whatever, and he, he kind of mentioned it. And again, like he he doesn't know as far as like team context or whatever. But basically, I, I drafted Diaz and uh, uh, Jordan Hicks. I think in the tenth round, and you know Jordan Hicks just that was it like early on. So now I'm down to Diaz, uh, and I think I'd already spent like a couple hundred dollars in Fab early on. So it was like, okay, am I going to really try to put 200 to $400 chasing saves and fab the rest of the year where I may or may not get any type of save help um, versus just punting saves. And like, if I'm going to punt saves, like there's no reason to keep Diaz because every single team has one and a half to two closers. Um, and again, like this is May and I already know like the team concept, my team was really good enough looking at it. I, I knew it was not an overall winner. Uh, it really would have needed a ton of help uh, saves wise, uh, saves wise. So, uh, you know, I do this even 
controversially even in in drafts like i'll just sit there in the middle of a draft and say you know what i don't really like this team i don't think it's an overall winner i'm going to change it up and just go for the league uh even sometimes mid-draft which i know like yeah you're giving up equity because overall contests take a lot of these monies out but like that's just kind of my thought process for it money's money yeah exactly so uh, going back to this, you know, I just made the conscientious decision, like I could gain and strikeouts and wins, uh, especially if I made this decision early. Uh, my ERA and WHIP were already like pretty much dog crap, so like there was no risk of even streaming like crap two-star pitchers. It was just I just need volume. Any any type of good volume is even better, but I just need volume to gain and and wins and strikeouts. In my offense, which was pretty much top of the league, was going to carry me. Uh, at the time in May, I think I was in like sixth or seventh with like, you know, high 80s. Um, and I knew like I just didn't have a chance if I was going to stay stagnant. Uh, so by dropping him and it allowed me to uh, play that, that volume game, I ended up placing second, I think, in the league with 112 nice. points. Um, but again, it's like those are the types of decisions I, I think you gain with experience and like, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard giving up on a overall in May and like, yeah, I could have easily found the saves and then maybe won the league, but like, it was just one of those, like, especially knowing experience and trying to know that they're going to hold up roster spots and just looking at the team. I just didn't see the path for it. And looking back, like, even if I would have kept Diaz, I would have gained one point, uh, but then I would have lost uh, around like, 10 or 11 points and in, in wins and strikeouts just by doing that. Uh, because again, uh, like I know that sounds like a lot of points in there, but you have to remember I'm just literally putting volume in that ninth spot instead of a reliever that's going to pitch three innings at max in a week. I, I'm, I'm glad Phil asked this question because that's a great uh, discussion point. I had Zach Waxman on a few uh, weeks ago and we talked about like the 80th percentile in leagues, like, but someone asked that was new to DCs, is it cool to punt? Uh, a position and he basically said if because the guy said i'm new and i i, I want to win the league like the overall would be great but i want to just like build my bankroll type deal but still learn how to play in the format so it's a, it's a yin and yang so zach um he looked at the numbers you need just to win your league if you punted saves over like the 80 percent down leagues and it wasn't as much as you think and you if you just like where you, you would have taken saves guys go and take another big bat or do this or that you can jump stuff like crazy yeah, i mean it's, it's, it's an interesting thought yeah it's a viable strategy because like it if it wasn't people wouldn't do it in the higher stakes standalone league uh-huh. right uh and and where you can get a little bit more value value i know everybody loves that word yeah. uh in in an overall competition teams don't do that so like you're yeah. in an advantage league wise when you punt something because everybody else is still playing for the overall whether mm-hmm. they think they are not even the the teams that probably shouldn't still be playing for the overall are still playing for the overall you gain an advantage with either roster flexibility or like like let's just say you went into a main event just like okay i'm not going to go uh for an overall which i don't think is the play by the way i would just join a standalone league but at some point you can make a decision like i said in the middle of a draft like you know what this draft just didn't fall my way for closures or whatever like, I don't really like these guys. And rather than taking them, I'm just going to go a route that yep. I'm giving up on the overall, which, again, that's just like everybody can draft their own team and make their own decisions. And if mm-hmm. you're willing to give up that equity, like you can give up that equity. 
but it, it's a, it's a great point you just made there is uh on those higher stakes ones like the you know thousand dollar dcs and these other ones you see phil's even admitted it and so there's so these other guys that i would not draft so and so in those leagues i am like more of a safe i get this this and this where in like the 150s they're like they're shooting for the moon and it's a totally yeah. different strategy like you said so it's a it's a it's a great point i think people need to decide what you do the standalone thing is like i play a ton of satellites i just because i i told people like a year ago that are said the npc is too expensive and this and that where it's it's pricey there's no hiding that at all but um i showed them there's ways to build your bankroll like i won an oc qualifier last year 50 bucks like you know, there's there's ways yeah. you can do it to make it so i'm trying to like show them examples of like go build your money here dump it yep. over here, kind of play the game. And next thing you know, like Modica talks about it. He started out with next to nothing. He's built it up and look what he does now. Like I, I guarantee most people don't just walk in and be like, okay, I'm going to play in these three and spend like 10 grand or whatever. Like that's just not the way it works. So yeah. Uh, yeah. more often than not, at least, but um, there, there's ways to do it. And I think it, the standalone draft mindset's interesting because most people frown upon punting, but it's feasible. Yeah. So, I mean, there's plenty of strategy, uh, like, I'm not, like I know we're we're running uh, long anyways, but yeah. like there's plenty of strategies, especially if you're just trying to build a, a bankroll where like you can just punt starting pitching and just take relief pitchers and and just play the innings game, the innings limit game, uh, where you're going to win ERA, WHIP, and, and and saves, and but you're punting strikeouts and 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 wins, but it allows you to basically take hitters all ten rounds or whatever, however you're going to do it. I mean, it's not that easy, but um, just trying to dumb it down a little bit but like there's strategies out there if you're just trying to build a bankroll like yeah you may give up first but like you're giving yourself a good chance for second or third in league if, mm-hmm. if they do have those types of prizes yep definitely uh two more questions you mentioned vogel brian v brian vogel asked who was a bigger crush on kyle tucker me or dusty yeah <laughs> I think it's uh, you. yeah i i do have him as my profile pick on twitter so like maybe that's why i win uh but it's pretty close that's yeah, fair. And then Vlad Sedler, we talked about earlier, and I kind of mentioned it, but he's just, he's, I don't know if he's trolling or curious. Um, am I wasting my 49th round DC pick on Pete Solomon? I think it's pretty serious, honestly. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I'm fine with him. I, I think he, he's going to be like that seventh, eighth starter. Like, he'll get some spot starts, especially 49th. It's like, whatever. Like, he's going to be up at some point, either as like a middle reliever or like that spot starter type guy. But like, you know, I'm talking about 50 innings, but like when you're in 49th round of the DC, you're just looking for somebody that's going to play this year. Uh, I think he's fine. Like he's not going to be anything special. I don't think I'm not a huge prospect guy, but I, I think he's good enough where like you could use him a week or two during a, during a season. There you go, Vlad. You got the dusty Astro seal of approval on that one. So enjoy it. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there. It's been awesome chatting with you on this one. Any um, final thoughts as we almost are into February, assuming the season starts on time? Um, any final thoughts on the upcoming draft season? Uh, yeah, keep drafting closers early. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and it, it makes sense. Like, I, I totally, I see so, I see both sides of the spectrum. I, I get both angles. Um, as much as I've drafted early, I'm starting to lean. I'm almost maybe starting to turn more your direction now, but uh, I'm still not 100% there just yet. But Fab Leagues, I probably will be. So that, that's for sure. But uh, like I said, we'll wrap it up right there. Make sure you guys all follow Dusty on Twitter at Wagner13454. And uh, Dusty, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Bubba, for having me. Everybody, this is Ben with Bubba, episode 433 with Dusty Wagner. Catch you guys later.